nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. And tonight we're joined by Mike Power, lead teacher, educational diversity proof, difference leader, author of Head of Year's Handbook. We're talking reintegrating pupils from pupil referral units back into the mainstream classrooms. Tune in, talk it out. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to Swansea and The Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn here on Teachers Talk Radio and as it has been the last few weeks of this show it is gorgeously sunny here in South Wales. I've, you know I've spent all of those months complaining and complaining about the rain uh, but no you know it, I am completely turned around I am by the seaside and it is sunny we are going into the summer term the end of summer too. Uh, what a glorious time uh, to be a teacher, as we can see the summer holidays slowly rolling towards us. Now, tonight, as I say, we are talking about, I guess, something maybe that doesn't really get talked about that much. We often hear big things in education about, you know, exclusions and, and what's going on with those and that direction of travel. Well, tonight, we're going to be joined by a guest who's going to be talking about the direction in the other way. Now, it might be small. We'll talk about some of the numbers, uh, you know, at some point during the show. But there are pupils who move in the other direction as well. They move from uh, pupil referral units for whatever reason they be there. And only a part of that is exclusion. Uh, they move back and they are reintegrated into mainstream schools. Now, I'm just going to check that we have our, uh, our guest with us. Uh, Mike, can you hear me? I can, yes. Uh, fabulous. And you are coming through loud and clear. Um, so welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, and it's lovely uh, to have you on. As I say, you know, we're going to be talking about all of these different things. And I guess what we should do for is we should get to know you. We should meet you. So why don't you set the scene a little? Tell us about what you currently do. Absolutely. Um, so, um, like we've already said, my name's Mike Power. I am the lead teacher at a um, pupil referral unit. Now, lead teacher is just a funny way of saying I lead one of the three centres that make up our pupil referral unit. Um, alongside that, I'm also completing a doctorate. Um, I'm currently just in the research design phase of my uh, doctorate in education. Um, but I focus on how government policy influences inclusion um, of disadvantaged school-aged children as well. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Okay. And that, I mean, it sounds really interesting, really unique uh, kind of, you know, job role within education. So how did you end up at this point? Um, well, initially I was actually a youth worker. Um, I trained for three years at uh, university to become a youth worker. Just at the time, um, funding for youth services was, was starting to, to ebb away. Um, I really enjoyed the informal side of education um, that youth work brought. 
and I wanted to find a way of being able to carry on doing that. So I actually trained as a teacher, probably not with a love of subjects um, in in my uh, mind, more wanting to work with young people that really needed it. Um, so I taught RE uh, and I taught a bit of history. Um, and my first real enjoyment in terms of, of being a teacher actually came when I when I became a form tutor for a, a year eight form group that I'd gone through a number of form tutors previously um, through staff changes. Um, so as you can imagine, year eight, a handful by the middle of the year with no consistent staff. Um, and that led quite quickly on to me becoming a head of year. And I was a head of year for six years. Um, in that time, I wrote the head of year's handbook, um, which was a nice way of me just being able to express the kind of things that I am doing, um, but also bringing in some of those youth work skills into, into education um, alongside my teaching as well. And just this year, so September, uh, I became a senior leader in a pupil referral unit, um, which is what I'm doing now. And do you see, you know, sort of personally, do you see much difference between that? You know, I know people talk about pupil referral units, alternative provision, talk about mainstream. You've transitioned between the two. Do you, do you see much difference yourself in, in, in what you're doing? Is it what you always wanted to do? Should, you know, should we think about it as a divide? Um, I guess there's, there's two kind of questions there. The, the first one in terms of how I've experienced it. I would say there's no difference in terms of what you're teaching. Um, the, the, the difference, um, the, the charity that I also um, am supported by, and they provide lots of training um, around this area, it de describe working in a people referral unit as, as the brain surgery of teaching. Um, and I think that's a really nice way of, of putting it in that not only do you have to be a good teacher, but you also have to be really, really good at building relationships and everything else that goes along with being a teacher to get some really disengaged students back on track with learning. Um, so no, I'd, I'd say actually one feeds into the other really nicely um, rather than a divide, but I am aware from being a mainstream teacher, when you're on the outside of alternative provision, you sometimes look at, at what's going on and and you, you think, oh, it's, it's substandard, it's not as good. And once you're there, it's just not the case. Um, certainly, and you know, as you know, as I say, any regular listener, I work in a, a school-based alternative provision, so we're kind of like in between, um, kind of a, a pupil referral unit. We're, we're part of the school still, but we're, we're kind of a step aside. Um, and one of the things that often gets, I guess, mentioned is it's it's a, um, a, a, a maybe a misunderstanding. I would put it as of uh, pupil referral units and alternative provision you know and, and you've kind of touched on there is um this um what's going on there and this opinion of them from from outside and i'm sure we'll touch on this little bits and pieces when we talk about reintegrating pupils from uh pupil referral units but if we talk about the the, the purpose of alternative provision and pupil referral units what do you see sort of their role within the educational system as? For me, um, a pupil referral unit or alternative provision um, is essentially the place where some of the most vulnerable learners come to be educated. Um, so that's your, your permanent exclusions, but also students with physical and mental health needs, students who are requiring time away from their mainstream to de-escalate behaviours. In essence, it's, it's almost a safety net 
to to catch the students that are otherwise going to struggle and to be able to deal with the individual child's needs in a way that actually most teachers would love to but actually they don't often have the the time and the resources to do that and i think we're put in a really privileged position in people referral units to be able to to start addressing some of these these issues that stop children being able to engage in education yeah, no, you know, I think certainly, you know, when you talk about the resources there, that's something I feel very, you know, lucky to have, uh, you know, as well. And I was looking at the, the the figures today for the cost of education. I think in England, they say it's around six and a half grand per child in mainstream education, where you're looking at kind of 18,000 a year if, if a child is attending a pre-alternative provision. So it's, it's you know, significantly uh, enhanced or more expensive but there is, you know, we are, there, you are talking about children with a significantly higher level of need. Absolutely. And I think if we just think about how most pupil referral units would would be structured to provide access to, to specialist teachers, um, but in smaller groups, it is a costly thing, which is why um, it's not for everybody, but it is really it's a good investment in stopping students completely falling off a cliff edge and ending up with no provision at all it's 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 money well spent in my opinion yes i mean you know certainly and i think you know there 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 are always those kind of bigger questions about society and you know whether you know actually if we were willing to fund all schools more perhaps all schools would be more like people refer units in that sense of having more one-to-one tuition more access to more adults per per child or or specialist support for mental health um but but you know that that's where it exists and i guess why it's possible um what about in your own experience then and you know i'm I'm sure if we talk about reintegration this this might come up what about negative attitudes towards people referral units in a sense something that i possibly have never experienced myself as as a you know I'm, I'm 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 harking back to older times i guess and maybe historically what people saw people referral units as do you still recognize that do you still occasionally hear people having negative connotations i think among the the professional communities or the other educators around um less so i think people are starting to understand more of what pupil referral units can do and can offer. But I do know um, from conversations that I have with parents, actually within the community, that the opinions of pupil referral units remain. Um, I still think there's a lot of work to be done in terms of raising the profile of, of what pupil referral, referral units can do, what they can offer to students. Um, it is a bit of a mystery in that if you're in a mainstream, as I was only 12 months ago, um, referring pupils to pupil referral units um i didn't really know what happened there i actually on the whole i didn't really know whether my student was going to come back or not most of the time um in some ways it provided us a respite to, to think but now i'm on the other side I think this is actually a fantastic thing that is happening with these young people um so yeah it's, it's a difficult one to try and to try and put your finger on how the perception is now because I feel like my mind has changed so much that I've no longer got track of that. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of that is people having, I get, you know, experience of it. And I guess, and, and you know, unless you are visiting or you are referring to find out or you are looking for a solution to a 
to you know I don't want to use problem because it's not you know I hate referring to a, you know a student as a as a problem but it is a a puzzle maybe you know it is a solution or a way of trying to uh, solve or address a puzzle that is presented by a pupil for for a certain amount of time. Absolutely, and I guess that that's that's the essence of it. It's a it's a referral unit in that you you go uh, you refer children who you you feel as as a mainstream leader as a mainstream teacher you can no longer support appropriately, and it's got to be focused on the support. and And I'm really quite passionate about making sure people recognise. Often, when we take students on, we under we uncover so many more things that have led to barriers um, being put in place with their education. Um, yeah, so so I guess this is why reintegration is so important. If we don't reintegrate children, there's only a limited number of spaces. Yep, and I think, you know, we, you know the, the reasons why, and I think, you know, that's a great place for us to transition about. Um, I, I have heard, you know, and, and this is something, you know, I'll be honest, I, I have heard people refer to um, pupil referral units and alternative provisions as, you know, in some form of a a sanction and, and almost an ongoing punishment, uh, you know, that they would refer to that, you know, you are being sent to, you know, if, you could, if your behaviour continues like that, you are being sent to, or actually, you know, if this doesn't change or your attendance doesn't prove, you are being, you know, you'll end up at you know that 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 kind of kind of directional and we, as you say you know with no chance of a reprieve with no you know kind of discussion of how long this is for it's seen it very much as a sanction now if we are talking about reintegration then we are, we are we are changing that narrative a excluded pupil is not excluded forever a child who is having a current uh, mental health crisis we would hope, you know, is, is, is not going on forever. So perhaps is it the need that with specifically behavioural, people are maybe looking at it differently to as they would approach it if it was medical or even, I guess, possibly mental health people are far more understanding of now? I, I do think that actually that there is a, a, a difference. And, and actually, you can still see that in, in a lot of ways. It feels even from, from this side of the equation now, more difficult to return an excluded child to mainstream than it does one of our uh, medical needs pupils um, who are already dual registered with the school and I, I don't I don't know what the answer is in terms of how we address that now immediately I think it's a very long-term piece of work starting by talking about reintegration as we are doing there's so much work to be done around building good professional relationships with mainstream colleagues, making sure that everybody understands the whole process of getting children back into education and actually understanding the reasons for that. Um, I'm going to run through, just kind of to set the scene for everyone then, just some facts and figures, uh, just just as we're getting started. You know, we're talking about... um, uh, schools then possibly being unwilling and I, I'm taking some of this data from uh, it was called the investigative research into alternative provision from the DfE uh, October 2018 um, and um, one of the things that comes up in the, the chapter on reintegration into mainstream education is they say um, 
it's not uncommon for APs, as they call them in this report, um, to report schools being unwilling to take back year 10s and year 11 students because of academic pressures on schools' GCSE results. This was readily admitted by schools themselves, where they felt students would have missed too much of the curriculum, or in other cases, uh, pupils or parents or carers actually didn't want them to return to mainstream education, preferring the smaller class sizes of uh, and the child feeling more settled in the AP environment. Now, we have that alongside um, you know, some numbers where they say um, 65% of pupils in, from primary uh, returning to mainstream uh, mainstream destination, um, 64% in key stage three, that dropping off uh, in, in this data to 58% in year 10 uh, and even less in year 11 then. Would that be something you, you recognise that, you know, um, do you work across all age groups? Do you focus in specific areas? You know, do you recognise that kind of difference in expectations on uh, reintegration? I would say that that picture is a hundred percent what I would even now recognize despite the work that's gone on so far. Um, our service as a whole works from key stage two up to year 11, key stage four. Uh, my focus is mainly on dual registered um, students. Um, so key stage three and key stage four. Um, but there are some permanent exclusion children within that cohort that we have reintegrated. It's, it is accurate to say it is easier to reintegrate children the younger they are. Um, and one of the things that has started making it easier, and I don't want to skip ahead too much in my conversation, you know, but <laughs> now that we we mention reintegration at every opportunity um, within the work we do with the mainstreams, with the parents, with the child. It's now more expected further up the school. Um, and I think in the past, it's almost been accepted that if you get to year 11, perhaps you will remain. And there's always a fear that adding a transition into a child's life back into mainstream, if they've been out for so long in year 11, could do more harm than good so people in my experience aren't necessarily doing it because they don't want the child um there is an element of of wanting what's best for them and not knowing how best to approach this this idea of reintegration if that makes sense mm. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, and now we're going to pop to a quick ad break. When we come back, we're going to talk through kind of why integration is important, uh, what, what you believe, you know, some of the positive factors that are needed are and those potential barriers. Um, now, I should say, if you are listening in live in the studio, you can, of course, text in, you can uh, call in, you can tweet us at TT Radio uh, 2022 on Twitter, uh, and we'll be able to ask those questions or try and answer them. At least we'll discuss them. So remember, if you are listening live, um, we will see you on the other side of this short ad break. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. 
Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. SteveWoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit SteveWoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chigwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at withaslackgroup.co.uk for more information. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Boridar Pab, Kroisui Abatawi, hello everyone, welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. And tonight I'm joined by Mike Power, lead teacher, educational diversity, uh, PRU, uh, di difference leader, doctoral student, author of the Head of Years Handbook. We are talking about reintegrating pupils from pupil review units back into mainstream and uh, you know what what could work what should work uh, all the way through uh, we'll be talking about now um welcome back mike uh hello again yep just I, I, you know i like to check that we haven't lost you over the ad break uh, it's still <laughs> here uh, you know sometimes the gremlins get in um so we're going to be talking about um reintegration and just some you know some tips some things that work some some advice for people things for people to think about i'm hoping that while we talk about that you know we're going to get 
the idea out into people's heads a bit like you said about you know putting that idea into students heads when you're first meeting them as as they begin attending a group getting it out into the teaching community's head that that reintegration is a thing that reintegration is something that we should be talking about so um why do you feel that reintegration is important for me um I guess reintegration, um, based on research mainly, um, before I talk about kind of what I see day to day, obviously being a, a researcher as well, I'm really fascinated on what, what others have managed to find. Um, and there, there's an awful lot out there that actually say successful reintegration will work against a lot of the, the disadvantage factors that we would be concerned about with young people, um, including social isolation. Uh, youth offending, uh, drug and alcohol misuse, but also susceptibility to mental health issues. Um, so some really significant topics that, that people focus on in education, but in wider society as well. Um, I've even read one study that talks about um, how exclusion um, can reduce cognitive functioning. Uh, now, that was only one paper from 1993, but I think it just it just demonstrates and, and really cemented in my mind that reintegration is it's really, really important if we truly want the best for these young people. Um, it's got to be more than just you know, something something we say and something we think. You know, there's hard evidence from research that reintegrating children back into school will make a difference on their future success. And we know that certainly, you know, in education at the moment, there is, a, I say a push, possibly not a push, but there is certainly talked about an idea of um, removing any sort of exclusionary behavior um you know that 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 comes up every now and again when we see at the neu conference people suggesting uh you know a a kind of approach that would be um against that and now what we are talking about hopefully you know we, we we talk about when as we see uh proves or alternative provisions is something supportive not a punishment and if it is something supportive like any course of treatment i guess that that would have a limited time and once it's 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 worked it's worked right absolutely i, th- I think we, we almost get get stuck in this idea of thinking that once a child's been permanently excluded that that's it they're, they're at a pupil referral unit forever um, and that there's nothing that can be done about that and i know that is a mindset that that can can end up being taken on by by parents and by the children themselves and that, that's that's a real sorry state of affairs I think often when it, when a child reaches that point of exclusion and the school makes that decision and I know head teachers do not make those decisions lightly it's it's because they've they've run out of, of things that they can do and the next step then on that that process of getting this child the correct support would be in a pupil referral unit with the aim of getting them back into mainstream so that more children can have access to that same support when it's needed. Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we, so we, we're discussing now a, a kind of approach where a child needs something, needs support in some kind, so that they, they go and receive that res- support. But you've also mentioned a little bit there about some of, you know, recognising, I guess, some of the the damage that, that can be done by this breakup of a relationship for want of a better word you know the relationship with the school has you know has potentially broken down for whatever reason some you know and I guess this would include um 
a medical issue that has meant that someone can no longer attend in the way that they previously had. There would be some kind of loss and, and, and grieving for what happened before. And all of those things potentially need to be addressed uh, within the pupil re- referral unit, but also potentially then we're saying could be repaired. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think we should ever reach a position where, where we don't think that relationship and relationships are key with this, that the relationships between the, the child and their family and the school can't be repaired, but it's a process that the professionals in the pupil referral units can, can support and, and can, can move that on. And you know what, it may take time, but I, I think we, we're well placed to be able to do that. There are some circumstances where going back to the same school isn't necessarily appropriate um but then again the pupil referral unit staff can broker and build on those relationships between families and and a new school when the time is right for them to move on um now i want to talk about you know review a bit about you know what what would make this reintegration successful now we can we can throw around the words as much as we want but there will be (laughs) Um, you know, it can mean anything. So, you know, I I was a very, for a, a, a long while a, a primary school teacher, and we talked about transition. You know, from primary to secondary, and transition meant a different thing to every person. So, you know, we'll get into the nitty gritty of reintegration. But before we get started, I wanted to just put some uh, reasons for not in front of you and, and, and kind of gauge your opinion on these things. And these, again, the, these come from the, uh, the the Department for Education research into, um, this was into alternative provision from 2018. This is from the chapter on um, reintegration. And they gave what they found were reasons for not expecting all pupils to reintegrate to mainstream. Now, I'm going to read them from least frequently cited all the way up to the most frequently cited uh, so kind of I'm putting a barrier in there already. And this is, you know, uh, what people potentially have said to say, actually, reintegration is not appropriate. Um, so uh, the, the the least cited, although cited by them, was the length of process to obtain EHCPs, as they are in England, to make uh, makes reintegration difficult. Um, difficulties in the pupils' home lives. Uh, mainstream schools reluctant to take key stage four pupils because of the potential negative impact on progress eight performance. Um, pupils would not be able to cope with the pressure on academic attainment in mainstream education. Um, up to the top two that were cited now, pupils cannot cope with the environment of mainstream schools. And the, the top one there, pupils need needs cannot be met in mainstream education. Now, if if that is the first thing out of my mouth as a you know a colleague from say a mainstream school when you you raise the word into reintegration, what what sort of things would you be uh, saying? It, I guess I mean that that is a, a fairly comprehensively tough list to argue with um, as a teacher, and, and I've got to appreciate the the, the opposite point of view. Um, but actually, the first the first thing to do is is really to to have a real conversation where you have shared absolutely everything you have um, within limits, of course, about um, this child and how their needs can be met. I would question um, any of my colleagues who who think that we should put every child 
forward for reintegration when when they're not ready. Um, and I do think that that's you may reach a point where some some can't, but actually you do need to explore with the mainstream school why they feel they cannot meet those needs and actually start offering support early on. Um, we are a supportive mechanism, not just for the, for the students, but for the mainstreams as well. Um, and it's one one thing um, that um, we'll probably end up talking about later on. But but we have a, a really big role in terms of how we not only advocate for the children that we are saying are ready to reintegrate, but we we have a big role in, of getting other services and agencies involved in making sure the right package of support is there for them. And that the mainstream feels ready and prepared to do so. And I think with the right package of support, it's very to come back and say this actually is not going to work at all. Um, but there will be times when it doesn't work. And I think we've got to be realistic and appreciate our mainstream calling colleagues kind of fears around this. It is something that is relatively new to a lot of people in terms of getting children back into mainstream. They don't know what to expect. They're almost, in some cases, thinking we're just going to drop them off at the door one morning and that's it, we're done. Um, but but it's not. it needs to be a real joint effort. And I think when they see that they're not going to be left on their own, that they're going to receive as much support as is humanly possible, um, I, I, I schedule time in, in the areas of the support staff that have worked really closely with children to go out into the mainstreams to talk to the staff to to make the child is really settled and i think that that's it's huge in terms of the effect that that has with the mainstreams building the relationships with them making sure they trust you um as, as colleagues to not screw them over i guess because that's from the other side i imagine that's how it could feel if they weren't properly supported yeah, you know, certainly. And I think, you know, they, they, as you described there, that maybe that kind of misunderstanding, that fear, that apprehension of, you know, the support that can uh, can go in um, and, and all of those parts, which which takes us nicely on, I guess, you know, we you have uh, we have, uh, you know, addressed maybe or started to address the some of the initial concerns uh, that people might have and we can say you know okay this is gonna this is something that can work if it's you know planned and we've done do it together what are the the sort of positive factors i guess that can make reintegration successful then we've got past that first hurdle of people being reticent or, or unsure what are what are we going to do or what can be done um to to, to make this or what should we be planning in I think when we look at um, the positive factors, um, it's quite easy um, to think of it in three different areas. You've got the child themselves, um, the parents or carers, and then actually the education system as a whole. So in most cases, it's the the two educational establishments. Um, for, for the child, it, it's all about really preparing them for this this transition, this change, making sure they fully understand what is going on but actually making sure that they're at a point in their education their time with you that they they believe that they can do this and make this successful make you know ensure that they, they feel they're going to get the support from the pupil referral unit again much like with with mainstream colleagues we don't want them to feel like we're just going to drop them off at the door and that's it um 
there's an element of actually you've got to get the child at the point where they want it to be successful because I think we're all well aware if a child doesn't want it to be successful, they're going to turn up. They will do something they know will end their move back into mainstream pretty quickly and they'll be back with us. So you've got to reach the point where the child wants this to be successful. Um, and I guess there's, there's an element of, of building up a bit of reflection within children. Uh, it's a skill that we, you know, teachers and, and practitioners, we all try to develop within ourselves. But having them able to to think about what's gone before, what they want for themselves and how they're going to move forward, I think that's that's really important in terms of the child factors. In terms of parents, it's very much the same. Um, but at the same time, you've got to make sure what they want, what they are hoping for is really realistic as well. Nobody within this process should be expecting a child to be perfect because no child is perfect no adult is perfect so to have higher expectations of this one person than we would have of everybody else is is not fair and not realistic um so we just need to make sure that everybody is fully aware there'll be bumps in the road um children aren't perfect we're not excusing behavior but we're making sure that everything isn't seen as the end of the road if that makes sense um but also giving them some responsibility and ownership of the process. I think parents can feel very done to within education. Uh, I know in the past I've been very guilty of, of sitting in meetings with parents and talking at the child and saying this is what's going to happen and the parents really not being on board with that and then things start to fall down because the parent wasn't on board with what it is that's happening. You've got to give the parents a bit of ownership over the process. In terms of the, the actual schools and I guess this is the biggest part of of how you make this successful and the positive factors that we're talking about your decision to reintegrate has got to be timely you can't have a student who is ready to reintegrate sitting not doing so because they do become very comfortable in the small classroom environment that people referral units can provide um, and in some ways, it's a testament to the work that the staff in, in alternate provisions do. But for the needs of that young person, if they're at that point, then, then things need to move forward. Um, it's also got to be really individualised. Um, I've had some students reintegrate within three weeks and I've had others who it's taken the full 12. Um, and that's absolutely fine. Each student needs something different, needs a different level of support, um, needs... Um, the mainstream is be receiving that support in a different way to understand the child's needs. So it has got to be individualised for each child that you're working with. Um, being honest with colleagues is 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 huge. Um, and it goes back to some of the things that we've spoken about earlier uh, in the evening with regards to how mainstreams view pupil referral units, but how pupil referral units view mainstreams as well. We've got to be honest with one another in terms of what these children need, what they can do, what we can do, what mainstream colleagues can do. And as long as everybody's honest, then there shouldn't be any hidden surprises or upset along the way. Making sure you continue to offer the support. Um, and I guess being really clear around what your role is, what the parents' role is, what the, the mainstream members of staff who are the key people that this child will be working with 
all are going to do within this process to make it successful. And I guess there's a little bit that comes down to ethos as well. Um, not just at the mainstream, but in, in the pupil referral unit as well, making sure everyone's on board with this. I'd, I'd always describe it as an inclusive ethos, but in this sense, I'm just talking about being able to bring children in, make them feel welcome, make them feel supported, still provided, you know, high challenge, but that high support as well, making sure that the reintegration is successful. It's got to be something everybody wants. Otherwise, people will find a reason for it not to work. And I wanted to pull apart just one of those child um, factors that you mentioned there around, you know, you, you talked about the child wanting, obviously, to go back. But that must cause you an, an, an incredible problem when it comes to things like, you know, attachment and them um, having found a sense of belonging, having found a sense of success or to be, you know, enjoying education for them. I don't know, just to not feel they're being pushed away from another um, establishment or another group of people who they've come to trust. Um, is that a difficult thing to manage? It's, it's incredibly difficult because, like like you say, they've, they've found this this sense of belonging that they, they lost when they were sent, and I use sent, um, to the pupil referral unit. It's, it is difficult, but that's one of the reasons why I said earlier we make use of those key members of staff, the people that they've been working with for so long, going out to the mainstreams to visit them, doing a lot of the work with them, rather than it being me in some instances or being other members of staff, actually the person that they've been with every day, spending time with them in their new environment, getting them used to it, helping them build up new relationships and new attachments. It's, it's so important to get that right. And hopefully, I you know, I, I guess then if you've raised this from the start of the process as well, it, it's not coming as a kind of shock or surprise. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, even in a meeting today uh, for a brand new student, um, I, I talked about the possibility of reintegration. Now, this is, is a, a year 10 student, so we'll be year 11 next year. Um, so, you know, even though we're at this end where we're saying, reintegrations tend to drop off it's it's still an important part of the conversation for joining the pupil referral unit in the first place and so you know we've talked about some of those those positive things that can be in place you know to um help sort of uh, you know do the groundwork to help us set the scene for us to know where you know when it's ready when it's timely for for that child and you've talked about sort of parental expectations or school expectations. Um, but, you know, as a realist, I will say there will be, uh, you know, you know, you've kind of alluded to, I guess, some kind of self-sabotage maybe going on. But also there will just be a natural first hiccup at some point, I guess. And is 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 there a danger that the, the, the receiving school might overreact, the, the parents might find that you know as as, as kind of the, the straw that breaks the camel's back that people might take it too hardly when, when we do get that you know and I'm including this within a natural realms of secondary education kind of hiccup but you know we get that first hiccup I think it's, it's inevitable um, with any um, reintegration I, I, I am very realistic with with families when we discuss reintegration and with 
colleagues in mainstreams and my own staff, we, we will have a hiccup along the way. Something will knock the child's confidence. And we may even need to review the current plan and look at how we move that forward um, the following week. There's there's lots of different things that, that need to be considered. But I think as long as everybody involved in that process is aware that we're being realistic here, there may be something that goes wrong. There may be things that go amazingly. We're not treating one-off incidents as the be-all and end-all of a child's placement. We're, we're actually working together to make this successful. And if everyone's got that shared aim, if everyone's realistic about what they're expecting, then you can keep things moving forward. But it does require managing as a situation. Mm. Now we talked about some of those positive things, and you know, I think. But before we head to the news in a, in a short while, if we if we hear about some of the the possible barriers or things that can be thrown up during this process that that could um, put a bump in the road for a reintegration process. Yeah, absolutely, and I think we, we've naturally mentioned a lot of the the, the barriers that may come into play um, throughout this discussion already. But uh, if we're thinking about individual children, first of all, there can quite often be significant SEMH or behavioural difficulties that, that haven't been fully addressed, that we felt in the environment had been addressed. And then when you move forward, actually, that's not the case. Um, and actually, all that means is there's a bigger piece of work to be done before you reach the point of reintegration. It, again, I keep going back to a behaviour incident isn't the end of, of everything. Um, we, we need to keep working towards something. Uh, peer relationships are huge as well um, for children. Uh, we know this, um, but actually, if they're struggling to make friends in, in the mainstream, particularly if it's a new school for them that they've never been to before, um, you have a real struggle on your hands. Um, but with that comes a lot of the work with your 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 partner colleagues in mainstreams around supporting the child, um, setting them up with buddies, making sure that they've got access to different things during free time, so free time, sorry, like break and lunches. Um, that, that that support is, is really important if, we, if we're going to overcome these barriers. Um, in terms of, kind of school to school barriers, there can be some real significant issues. I know we've mentioned difficult relationships between pupil referral units and mainstreams. Um, responsibility for reintegration i think is is something that needs taking really seriously on both sides of the equation um i'm quite lucky uh, where i work in blackpool in that um i've now taken ownership of reintegrations in, in my center um, but i also have a named colleague in the mainstreams that i'm communicating with for each child um, and someone having the ownership of that and the responsibility for making sure that happens is really important otherwise it'll always be seen as someone else's job. It's almost in addition to the teaching and learning that we do every day. Um, there is an element in some cases where mainstreams may not feel ready, but um, I spoke earlier about working really closely with your colleagues, making sure they understand how this process works, how much support they're going to get. Um, I guess a key one that goes unnoticed and, and unmentioned a lot of time is actually the meetings that take place with with children, with families. When it comes time to talk to reintegrations, I'm a big fan of getting as many professionals in the room as possible to offer the maximum amount of support. But those meetings can be incredibly intimidating for families 
and for children. So you have to find a way of making that manageable. Now it can be slowly introducing people over time. Um, it's it's a lot of you having to broker relationships um, and making sure that everybody understands we're there to support. We're not there to to be judgmental. We're not there to to throw spanners in the works, as it were. Um, and I think that that really does help that multi agency approach um, because you know quite often children do have social workers cams involvement um those those kind of other agencies can really support and make a real difference in a reintegration if you engage them early on um there's an element of again unrealistic expectations of children when you're talking about reintegrations um we've all you know heard in the past parents who, who might say oh well they're never going to be able to do that um you have to work on the parents fears as well as the child's Otherwise, you, you'll never be able to move forward. Children pick up so much off parents and carers and they're naturally really worried that you're putting their child in a situation that they're not going to be able to cope with. So this is where that clear communication, building up their relationships makes all the difference. And then I guess my last point on that would be um, lack of, of knowledge, skills and experience. Um, that's on both sides of the equation. You can't levy that charge at any one section of the education community. Um, on the whole, more work needs to go into how trained and ready and experienced people are with, with managing the reintegration process between prus and mainstreams. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you naturally, and this is you know credit to you naturally keep giving me solutions but we are going to pop to the news and if it's okay when we come back you know it'd be really great i think for people to hear from you about some of the things that you've done that, that have worked to overcome these barriers i know you've touched on them a little bit there and then really importantly like the, the result and the outcome and what you've seen the, the the benefit of that are you happy to stick around to just after the news absolutely Fantastic. All right. Well, if you are with us, we are talking about uh, back to mainstream, reintegrating pupils uh, from pupil referral units back into mainstream education. Um, we're here with Mike Power uh, and myself, Nathan Ginn. It's Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in, talk it out. We'll see you on the other side of the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible.
stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to Program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to £1,360 in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk. Here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chickwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at withaslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. strategy white paper is to be unveiled by Boris Johnson this week. The Prime Minister has been criticised for ignoring suggestions made by his food czar, Henry Dimbleby. At the moment, most children in year three and above do not qualify for free school meals if their household income from work is more than £7,400 a year. Mr Dimbleby suggested either extending this to all children in households receiving universal credit or raising the income threshold to £20,000. Neither of these ideas has been included. According to campaigners Feeding Britain, extending eligibility would have benefited thousands of children. A government source has told the Mirror, we're very clear we will continue to keep preschool meals eligibility under review. In Scotland, the Liberal Democrats are challenging the Scottish Government over whether a promise to recruit more nursery teachers to work in the most deprived communities has been binned. In January 2017, Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister, committed that an extra 435 graduates would be in place in nurseries by 2018, at the time insisting the move was absolutely crucial to tackling the attainment gap. Liberal Democrat education spokesman Willie Rennie said more than 100 nurseries in the most deprived communities in Scotland don't have the extra nursery teacher Nicola Sturgeon personally promised would arrive in 2018. 
Astonishingly, at the current rate of progress, it's going to take another 10 years for the SNP to meet what was a one-year target. Nicola Sturgeon promising education would be her number one priority feels like an awfully long time ago for children and parents. They are being taken for a ride. They deserve to know if the nursery staffing target will ever be met or if it has been binned too. Children's Minister Claire Hoy said, Since 2017, the early learning and childcare workforce has expanded massively, with graduate ELC staff increasing by more than half. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week's Two Minute Tech is in response to a Twitter post from Tom HB asking what makes a good multiple choice question. I'm not here to discuss the research behind questioning, you can do that on his show, but I can give you some tech that makes a good multiple choice question. Here I celebrate the beauty of tech and all the positives that we can gain. Did you know a lot of multi choice question builders will give you data? It is down to you to decide if the data is useful, however, the data is automatically generated so you don't have to do any marking. Data can be exported and added to a spreadsheet for quick comparison. Electronic multi-choice questions can be shared easily, they work across multiple devices and can be reused or tweaked in future activities. Individual question feedback is available on the individual or the cohort. Everyone has their favourites, some allow live synchronous participation, others are asynchronous and can be done at any time. Kahoot is an example of this, well known by teachers and it gives both of these options and has a bank of pre-made questions from its large community. The quiz platform you choose will depend on the required outcome. Do you want a quick poll during a presentation? Then iSpring will embed into a PowerPoint or a link to Mentimeter will let you get live feedback. Do you want to ensure knowledge is remembered through repetition? Then create a Google or Microsoft form, call it a breakout room and set it to go back to the beginning every time a question is answered incorrectly. This will force the correct answers to be entered to complete the room. And you will be the cool teacher that's down with the kids knowing what a breakout room is. Put simply, Electronic quizzes can be great if you use one that suits your topic. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022 and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Twilight Show with me, uh, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. And I laugh there because I say twilight and I'm used to it being actually twilight out. It actually feels like it's midday with the sun shining through my window at the moment. Um, Beautifully sunny here, as you know, I should say, complain about the rain all the time beautifully sunny at the moment. Um, I'm joined by Mike Power, who is a lead teacher at Educational Diversity PRU, a difference leader, doctoral student, author of the Head of Year's Handbook. And we've been talking about reintegrating pupils from pupil referral units 
back into mainstream. We've talked about, you know, kind of setting the scene, talking about some of those things that pupil referral units do. We've talked about um, kind of uh, setting an expectation from the start that reintegration would be a thing. We've, we've seen some of the figures and, you know, briefly, although if you want to listen back and get the exact numbers, it's around 50% of uh, pupils who makes some kind of reintegration back to mainstream from uh, alternative provision. Um, obviously, that changes over the time with them more likely to return to mainstream if they are attending an alternative provision in primary school and less likely as they kind of reach the end of what would be their educational pathway at, at 16 at least. Um, and we've talked about some of the positives that exist, the child um, factors, the parent factors, and the, the, the receiving school factors, and um, the positive, also some barriers that can be. Now, I'm joined again. Welcome back. Hi, uh, hello again. <laughs> hello. Um, and I wanted to ask then, you know, we, we've kind of set the scene. I wanted, um, I guess, some some things that you have seen that have worked or things you have done um, that really have overcome those barriers or things that you would advise people to try. And I guess if we try and pitch this on both sides, you know, because it would be, it's a partnership, as you've, you've said already. And so the, the receiving school could equally ask for things to happen in a proactive way as the, the people referral unit suggests them, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, uh, I know I, I've said a lot of this already, but but that that key thing is, is is around the leadership of the reintegration process, and making sure that on both sides of the equation there is somebody taking ownership of what is going to happen and having that regular communication, and and like you've you've just said, making requests, asking for advice and support, both ways to to make it a, a success for for that young person. And I guess it, it can't ever be lost as part of this process that we are talking about an individual, a young person who deserves the best access to education. Um, so I guess that that's my key point, really, out of everything that I could mention. Um, but moving on from there, um, at risk of repeating myself so many times, but relationships are so 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 important and and i just can't say it enough um and that's with with children with families with other professionals with other staff within each setting um, to make sure that everybody's on the right page and everyone is comfortable with what's going on um there's got to be flexibility um and this is this is something that um, has taken a lot of work within um the reintegrations that i'm now doing um, there, there was this idea initially um, between myself and some mainstream colleagues that we would follow a very set process um, and it would on week one a student would do this many hours there and so many hours with us and, and we'd increase that every week over a six week period but for some students that, that just didn't work um, so, so being open to being much more flexible on both sides and and actually on a really practical note being aware of what's going on in each school at the time you're trying this so if you've got something like work experience happening on one side of the equation not expecting that side to to either have the student um for a bulk of the day or actually giving the student the opportunity to take part in that um, and then reintegrating around that so really practical in that sense but just 
making sure everyone's being flexible in that sense. Sharing of information. I've said it so many times already. Being honest with the information you're sharing. Um, and again, reintegration always being part of that discussion. It shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that at some point you could go to a new mainstream or back to the mainstream you come from. It should always be something that that's there, that people are aware of, that people know they're working towards, if that makes sense. Mm. And, you know, this is where, you know, my experience now as I teach in Wales or certainly in the the, 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 the county that I'm in will be significantly different or, or less problematic, I would say, than possibly some of the issues that you would face in England with the, the, the system of academies and local authorities and, and such like that exists. Because when I face an issue at the moment of um, a, a child being referred, there is one pupil referral unit in our local authority and that is it we we have one and so it goes through a singular panel and decisions about education other than school are made for a singular route and and the same way back as well we are there are no academies within wales and so we are all in that sense managed by the local authority who also manage the pupil referral unit and all of our APs so we have a very singular and simple system i can imagine that can be a, a bit trickier over in england a hundred percent. Even if I just think about the the pupil referral unit that I work for, there's at least three different entry routes, um, depending on on the needs, uh, on the reasons a child is being referred to the pupil referral unit, um, and we work with uh, mainly academies um, in in the area uh, where we're based, and each of those will have different. Um, expectations different requirements of us in order to reintegrate um so it's it's a very almost mismatched system um that we're having to work with um which is really upsetting because like i keep saying at the heart of this is there is a child who really deserves the opportunity to go back to mainstream and to make um, even more of a success of themselves than they have done already with their transformation in becoming ready to reintegrate. Um, and I guess what this um, kind of leads to almost is is this idea of policy currently not making it particularly easy um, for, for us to, to reintegrate children because it is so easy for some schools to, to basically say no um and, and you're almost working on goodwill which is why relationships become so important yeah and i guess they have to buy in they have to see a benefit because you know there there is unfortunately and i know one of those first um factors that was listed in the uh, dfe uh, research about barriers was about you know actually it takes a long time for a child to get an ehcp now i see no I don't read that as an issue around having an EHCP. When I read that, I I read funding. You know, there there, there is a, a, a financial issue with requiring additional support and requiring those additional things. And that is what, to me, that school was saying was, we don't have the money to meet need or we can't meet need. And there is a fear there. Um, and th that must be incredibly hard then, as you say, to build that relationship and to impart the positive impact of... Uh, these pupils returning, not just on the on the pupil themselves, although that should be key and central, but also hopefully, I guess, on the wider community. So th these must be a success. What has been your 
um, experience. I say there must be that, you know, I'm sure there will be different ebbs and flows for different children, but you must still believe that, that the results or what you've seen, there are success stories there. A hundred percent there are success stories, but uh, if, if we're talking in terms of funding, it's most certainly easier to reintegrate a student who is dual registered with a mainstream school where they're the main school and they are funding the placement um, because there's an element of, of needing to, to recoup costs eventually and to yeah, stop yeah. spending so much money, which is, it's a shame that that's the way it is. Um, and I guess we, we venture into, into the realms of... Um, of the green paper in terms of, of how that was discussing funding for alternative provision in that um, if, if we stopped funding following children so readily and we actually funded the provisions, then I think reintegration would, would make a, a much easier um, sell to people. If, if we were, were thinking of ourselves in that sense of going selling this um, because when we've taken finance almost out of the equation, um, EHCPs, um, I guess we all know, are incredibly difficult um, in terms of, of getting one and the waiting um, for, for, for EHCs to be drafted when we reach the point. Um, it can be really difficult. Um, and I, I get why mainstreams wouldn't want to to just take a child whilst they're waiting. So I guess part of the role um, whilst, whilst we're in this situation would be for, for the mainstream to, to make it, um, to provide the, the strategies and to make this, this package of support as good as we can so that, that money isn't a barrier. It always will be slightly, but, and I guess you've, you've probably noticed through all of my answers so far, I like to try and find the solution because I really do believe reintegration is, is key in the future success for these young people. So that, that's kind of where I'm at when we're talking money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I money and education, I always find it, you know, it always, it, it does make it sad for me. You know, it's one of those things that it always comes back to. And I think, you know, actually, you know, if that, but that, that's a political choice, as you say, you know, it's a, it's a, a social choice that we are saying that actually, you know, we are not willing to, to have that money there readily available to come what may provide the right education for the right kind of children. So if, you know, if we take away our, you know, the big scale thing of us completely overhauling the English education system, Wales has its problems, I should say, you know, there are, there are issues that we face around different things and things that get in the way and processes and, and things being timely, particularly, I would say with the, the, the system that I face because there are monthly windows of panels. And if a child's name isn't high enough up that list, then it has to roll over to the next one. And so when we talk about timely, you know, there, every system has a problem. But if we were focusing on, you know, people who are potentially listening, which is, you know, which is teachers, which is school leaders, middle leaders, what would you ask of them? What would you like to see of them in supporting this drive to make, you know, reintegration a, a, a positive thing, an accepted thing, a thing that is de rigueur, a thing that's the norm? I think what one of the the, the, the messages that, that I'm quite keen to, to get across in, in, in this sense is we always talk about how students arrive at the pupil referral units and, and all this work we're doing on the child and getting them ready. Um, but when they reintegrate, they're going back into the exact 
exact same environment. So that there does have to be this willingness to to change what's going on within the environment that they've come from, that they couldn't deal with in whatever way when they were first referred to the pupil referral unit. Um, there's got to be that willingness. And I guess it's difficult to know what I would say to a mainstream um, middle or senior leader now, um, now that I'm almost, I've, I'm, I've been out for nearly a year. Um, it's, it's, it's about your, your passion and you wanting what's best for each young person and actually being really confident in the knowledge that what you're doing and what you're providing is really really important for young people there's something that i've said uh, numerous times in the past when, when i've spoken to people about what the purpose of education is and and this idea of education being emancipatory and and almost being able to to help and support so many of, of life's ills for the young people and I think if colleagues in mainstream can see that this is part of a process in helping this young person and actually they are experts in what they do um, and that's really important and it's really important that those children have access to that and every child deserves to have access to that, then I think we'll, we'll start to move forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, it really does. And, you know, I really like that this kind of harking on, and, you know, I reflect on something that I often, it frustrates me sometimes about education is that, you know, I am a teacher because I believe that people can grow and people can develop and people can change. And I see that very much as a, you know, a teaching thing that, that is part of being a teacher. If you didn't believe thing, people could improve at something, you, you wouldn't believe, uh, you you know, why would you be a teacher? And I see that very much in the sense of whatever the barrier is, we can grow and we can be supportive and, and, and we can improve, whether that be learning a mathematical algorithm or whether that be um, dealing with a trauma in our lives or, or learning to better regulate our behaviour around certain individuals. Um, but I'm really interested in what you said about the school changing, because this is something that I have never reflected on before. And, and that is this idea that I, I guess a school where there is an issue, whatever that issue may be, may see the end of the line of that child not being there anymore as being the solution. But it, but it really isn't solving anything, is it? Apart from the child not being around whatever caused the behavior or potentially could have in, uh, affected the behavior. Absolutely, and and I guess it, it whilst I'm making reintegration such an important point um, in the in the work that I'm doing, um, then you have to focus on on what the children are, are going back into. Now, I, I'm not in any sense suggesting um, people in mainstream schools, teachers, um, leaders are trying to create hostile environments or environments that are making it difficult for children to learn what often happens uh, with um, from experience anyway is children will come to the pupil referral unit we will assess almost everything um, about how they learn over the space of six weeks and we will uncover certain um, SEND needs um, we actually find quite a lot of students struggle um, in areas of speech, language and communication. Um, 
But when we then send that information back to the mainstream, um, sometimes that's not acted upon in the way that we would like, uh, or it's dismissed because every child who enters the pupil referral unit currently, um, it ends up on the SEM register. Um, and we, we need to change that narrative. We need to, we need to make it so actually the feedback coming back from the mainstream to the strategies is implemented, is understood as being best practice for that young person. But actually a lot of, um, the strategies that come, um, for children with any SEND needs, um, or any other um, needs and requirements that, that are shared with staff often are just good practice to, to use with any child anyway. Um, and when you start to think of things like that, then, then the actual environment starts to change. Um, you, you're not going to change everything overnight. And, and in, in, in some ways, what you what I wouldn't be sat here suggesting is all schools should change their culture to be like the school that I think it should be, because um, every school is different and that's just not realistic. But we've got to be willing to respond to the needs of that child. And that that can be a whole host of things within your environment. And I use environment to, to mean the physical space, but also the people within that space and the way that they interact with with the young person. Yeah, you know, certainly. Yeah, you know, I can really see how that, you know, that would be impactful on, 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 on the things that we are trying to achieve. Um, it has been, you know, it has been fabulous talking to you, a really interesting conversation we, you know, we've talked about, and I, I, you know, for anyone joining us now or tuning in as we speak, we, we have gone through, you know, and had a really in-depth conversation about some of the barriers to reintegration, about talking about why it's important, talking about, um, you know, with a lot of honesty about that, that kind of, um, the difficulties that can be faced and I think you know when when you talk about sort of the mainstream colleagues there and when I think about it and I and also when I think about my myself having those conversations as I say I, you know I sit in a kind of weird situation where I'm halfway between both so I'm not part of mainstream but I'm not fully outside of the mainstream and and so I end up having those conversations on both sides and I have to reflect on myself a lot uh, about what we are doing that is truly helped. And I think the big takeaway for me from, from you know, everything you've said has been, there, there was a part where you talked about, you know, the child's behaviour being being different or having changed or whatever is the, the need that we have been addressing, but it us not really have addressing it. And I think that's the bit that I'm going to take away with myself tomorrow and think, actually, you know, are they ready to reintegrate because they are doing well in my current situation? with them where we have you know um, a, a nurture provision small soft starts and you know uh, additional kind of smaller classes additional adults all those extra things going on uh, you know are they really ready and i guess that's the hardest part is asking are you know that timing of when are we really ready 100 percent. and i guess in, in in some cases you're not going to know until you try um but a lot of children will once once it, reintegration is part of your your culture and, and your everyday conversations with children with parents actually they start to tell you when they're ready and that makes it a whole lot easier brilliant yeah no i love that that actually you're right you know and if it has been if it's part of that i guess you know it is part of the, the nature of what you're doing and the expectation and that should help you know see it as a positive move they're not leaving you all of those things 
Um, it has been, you know, it has been wonderful talking to you. Um, how are things going at the moment? Are you in the middle of GCSEs? Um, yeah, we've got um, another big GCSE tomorrow. Uh, with, I think it's biology. Um, I actually can't remember. That's really bad of me, isn't it? Um, yeah. So we've got we've got one last big GCSE. Um, a few more for students who um, have come to us from mainstreams and are still sitting their full set of GCSEs, even though they're not currently in their centre. Um, but we're, we're almost um, at the end for year 11s and they, they've had a, a tough time of it, um, really, if we think about how much missed learning would have happened with those two years of COVID. Um, so to be fair, all credit to, to the students for being able to get um, to this point and to be able to handle themselves as well as they have done. Yeah, you know, is I think as you say, a tough time. Maybe missed mocks, maybe missed time of learning, maybe missed all those things, and just the the disruption of of everything has been a you know a, a really tough time, and particularly tough for some some really vulnerable learners. Um, and you know, so we will say goodbye from here. I want to check in with you though. You, up in Blackpool, you are, aren't you? I am. Yes. Now I'm going to ask you. This has nothing to do with teaching, but I believe you know, and I have a very unique surname, okay, which is G Y N N. And Blackpool is one of the only places that I have ever found it. And there, there is actually a, a Gin Hotel, I believe, and a Gin Gardens up in Blackpool. Are you familiar with them? Does, is that a real thing? I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sure. So I actually live in Manchester um, oh. and travel to Blackpool every day. So uh, it's not something that I've come across. I, uh, do you know what? I, I have seen it when, when Googling as you Google yourselves. And so I thought, you know, here is my opportunity to find out if this really is a thing or if, you know, like, as I say, there is, there is a very unique name that hardly anyone else has. But it turns out, I believe, up in Blackpool, there's a, a pub or a hotel or something that has it across the front and some gardens named... I assume at some point after my family. Um, it has been fabulous. And um, before we go, um, anything else that you need to plug or final words for our listeners, Mike? Um, nothing as as such, I guess. Um, I think I've got my message across in that reintegration is, is so, so important. And I just need everybody to be on board with that, whichever side of the divide that you're on, um, because it is what provides those best outcomes for the young people. Fantastic. And I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's been some more food for thought for me as well. Um, so wonderful. And thank you for coming on. Um, I will say if you are still listening to us or you are listening live, just tuning in now, you can switch over to Twitter Spaces where Lucy Newberger will be uh, going live at half seven. She'll be talking uh, in the spaces there. We can join in, call in and chat talking about non-traditional teaching. So if you are a teacher who teaches uh, in a way, I, you know, we're talking circus skills, we're talking riding horses, we're talking teaching that isn't classroom teaching. And that's what she's talking about over on Twitter Spaces. It's been a fabulous evening talking about yet yeah, why reintegration is so important. So thank you, Michael. And as we say here from uh, South Wales, Nostar, which is good night. So Nostar. Thank you very much. Yeah, and good night. And we will see you all next time on uh, The Twilight Show on Teachers Talk radio uh start good night you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio